0: Okay, we are in a current series, sort of wrapping up today. We have been in Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, and a little short series called New Testament Postcards. And uh, just sort of a flyover, uh, sort of a crazy idea. Uh, How do you cover a whole gospel, a whole book like this in just a few moments? So it really can't be done, but I'm going to pretend it can be. And. we're going to look at John two briefly this morning, as I think that is a very instrumental passage in John's gospel. Uh, many, many beautiful passages that could be turned to. I think John's gospel is a favorite among many of us. To get started, though, I want to share with you a bit of a story. Um, and I I, it ref, I, I came across this thought um, because I, I think that John uh, did a lot of reflection before he wrote his gospel. Uh, just about every scholar believes that John wrote way late in the first century, perhaps 90 A.D., something like that. Some argue a little bit earlier. But John has, John was aware of Matthew's gospel, uh, Mark's gospel, and Luke's gospel, no doubt. And John was uh, n- no doubt aware of the apostle Paul and all of the history that was going on in the book of Acts. So John, of course, is an original disciple He's an apostle in the church, and I just think he's reflecting, and he is thinking out loud of all that he has seen happen in in the early stages of of what we call Christianity. I think he's asking the question, what what does the world need? What pictures shall I tell of Jesus, this glorious person who is the source of all life, now, strangely enough, as I was reflecting on John reflecting, I thought about my own childhood, and a w- unique thing that happened to me. And um, I'm always interacting with pop culture, by the way, in case you uh, notice that. Uh, you, if you watch my trends and sermon illustrations, are either food or pop culture. I don't know if you notice that, but um, so today will be on pop culture. But um, in, in the late '60s, um, my father and my mom, um, and our family, we traveled with. Uh, a, a gentleman who would later become my Spanish teacher, uh, John Rossi and his wife Connie and their kids. Uh, these two families, we traveled to Mazatlan, Mexico, from Southern California. And that was quite an adventure, many, many days traveling. And my father loved uh, uh, Mexican culture. He taught Spanish, spoke Spanish. And uh, so it, we, he, my dad was just, just, just loving it. And so they were down in Mazatlan, Mexico, and I'm about 10, 11 years old. We're staying at this hotel, and right next to the hotel is this restaurant. It was called Senior Frogs. Now, some of you have been to Mexico, and Senior Frogs is sort of a chain. Is it still going on down there? I think it is. Okay. I don't know if they tried to make a run at the mainland United States, but Senior Frogs um, tends to be a place where all all the college students hang out and, you know, kind of parties are going on. Well... I'm excited to be at this hotel, and I'm about 10, 11 years old, and it's early, early, early in the morning, and I'm up. And I'm wandering around this place, waiting for my family to wake up, and I wander through uh, Senior Frogs, which is kind of open, and, uh, and then I wander onto the beach. And uh, again, I'm just anxious to get the day started. And... I'm noticing on the beach there are all these beer bottles and tequila bottles, and they're empty, and someone had had a party the night before, and there were shoes left around, and uh, I'm just sort of looking at all this, trying to figure it out as a 10-year-old, and then this kind of this wet sand is all there, and the sun rises, and... And then years later, this little struggling band called the Eagles, um, who, who recorded the, the, the greatest hits, and that is the, num- that's the number three best-selling album of all time, and um, Don Henley and Glenn Fry wrote this song called Tequila Sunrise. How many of you know that song? Can you raise your hand? There you go. Okay, good. We're not going to start singing it now, but... And, um, it's a song. It's a sad song. Um, it's a song about a love that never really happens. There's a mention of a, of a boy and a girl, a, a man and a woman. And, and the love just never, they never make a connection. And uh, there's a refrain in the song. Uh, and it says, it goes like this. This old world still looks the what? Still looks the same. That's right. And this old world still looks the same. It's just another tequila sunrise. This old world still looks the same. And uh, every time I hear that song or I hear it on the radio, I think about, I remember seeing a tequila sunrise. <laughs> I mean, I actually saw one. And the, the refrain, though, is kind of a haunting one. This old world still looks the same. Love didn't happen two people who kind of seemed to meet but kind of passed each other. Love never really happened. Love never really arrived. And it's just another tequila sunrise. So let's try another night of tequila. Um, What's your view of things when you think about the world? Is it just another day? Has anything really happened? Um, Think about that. When you think about your own understanding of the world, what, what is termed your worldview? What, what really shapes your worldview? What do you think about the world? When the sun rises, is it just another, another day? Uh, random events are happening, and you're just sort of in it here. What's happening inside you when you think about your world? I think that's sort of what John was thinking about when he wrote his gospel, Because the world does look the same. Um, Every morning it sort of has that same feel to it, doesn't it? And this this, this old world still looks the same, but John couldn't say that. John, the Apostle John, uh, understood what it was like for love to invade this world. He understood that that he saw glory embodied in human flesh and what he had seen he could not unsee. And John, with the most beautiful poetic imagery you can imagine, he is putting together harmonies uh, from Scripture uh, to describe this amazing person that we call Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ has come to this earth, this old world does not look the same. At least from the heart, from the vision that the Christian has, that in one sense it does look the same, but in another sense, something has begun because Jesus has arrived. And John writes his gospel with an extraordinary vision of Jesus. John knew that what he had seen, he could no longer pretend that he had, as if he had not seen it. John realizes. That Jesus has been the revealer of the Father the one that cannot be seen is now been made visible John 118 no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side he Jesus has made him known it's not just an, not just life carrying on as usual something extraordinary has happened John uh I Provided there for you kind of an outline of John's gospel, I'm not really going to go through that, but it's kind of a sketch of, of an overview of John's gospel. John's gospel is really organized around seven signs. And these take place uh, in chapters 2 through 12. John is not that concerned about chronology. The other gospels are very similar in how they present the life of Jesus. John is shaping his gospel around certain signs of Jesus, and certain sayings of Jesus. But John cannot wait to present to the world the Lamb of God who is given for the sins of the world. It's one of the first statements that come from John the baptizer. Uh, he sees Jesus approaching him. and In John one twenty nine, we have this extraordinary scene where Jesus is appearing on the the pub- public horizon for the first time, and he is described by John as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so John is writing stunning, extraordinary, poetic statements about Jesus. And I think that they are done for a particular per- particular person uh, reason, I should say. They are done to make an extraordinary impact upon those who read his his gospel. I've said repeatedly in our our short series here, Jesus draws you in. It's hard to resist him. Uh, It's hard to keep him at arm's length as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is an extraordinary person who will not go away, will not be lost in history. And he will do a work upon you as you study him, reflect on him, listen to him. David Pallison writes, at the heart of redemption, God is fundamentally changing what we want. That's what happens when you read John's gospel. Your wants are now exposed to you and they are now going to be changed you are going to want to be with him. You're going to want to be with this Jesus. You're going to want to worship him. You're going to want to know him. Your needs and the pressing issues of your circumstances, they're still going to be there, but something is going to change. What you want out of life is now different. How how exciting. And what's extraordinary, I was just reflecting on this, is that I don't meet many people who are concerned about, um, they're pretty accustomed to their life in this world. We don't see God. Uh, Most people are accustomed to that. They've uh, found their little niche in life, and they are okay with life as it is. Uh, But we were made to be in the presence of God. We were made to know God. We've been made in the image of God, to reflect God. And it speaks to sort of our tragic situation in this world where we are more than comfortable not being in god's presence, not uh, aware of his presence, not concerned about it. And what John does is he reveals the revelation that we need, and his gospel is this extraordinary revelation uh, of god's mercy in in Jesus Christ and And no one is asking for it, but God brings brings this revelation. God's own initiative brings us the gospel of John. And so John's purpose really is clear. As Katie read that passage from John 20, verses 30, toward the end of John's gospel, he tells us right up front what his purpose is, and he says that his purpose is that he has put these signs here, He's designed his gospel that we would see Jesus doing these miracles, that we would believe in him and have eternal life. So, John's gospel's purpose is really, really clear. Now, what I want to do uh, for a short time is highlight John chapter 2. John chapter 2, which takes place very early in, in the, if you describe it, at least the, the narrative of John's gospel. John has Jesus before the temple authorities. Jesus uh, cleanses the temple. He takes a cord of whip, a whip, a whip of cords, I should say, or a cord of whips, or how to say that, and he knocks over tables, pushes the, 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 the tables over. He cleanses the temple, uh, at least symbolically, and he, just, he comes and resists the, the, the worship that was going on in Israel he is pointing out that the worship of Israel at the time was corrupted. And he cries out that my father's house will not be a den of thieves, it will be a place of prayer. And uh, the authorities come to him and they ask him, what sign do you give? What sign do you give to show us for doing these things? You are declaring that our worship is corrupt. By what authority do you do these things? And John designs this conversation for us to become intrigued with who Jesus is and what is he going to do by way of change of worship. The core core issue of the Bible really is God seeking to be at the center of his people again. Remember how the Bible starts, that... Adam and Eve are enjoying fellowship with God at the center of their lives. And the the, the tragedy of the fall is that God's presence is now removed from, from man's existence. And man is now outside of the presence of God. And so the whole unfolding of your Bible is God in his mercy seeks now to be at the center of man's existence again. That's mercy. Worship is now center stage as the issue of the human heart and the issue that people must uh, get right between themselves and God. Jesus comes and he sees that the worship of God's people is corrupt. So he cleanses the temple. And this sets up a one-liner from Jesus That encapsulates the whole of John's gospel. Jesus answers their question, what sign do you give uh, that you can do these things, that you're authorized to do these things? And says, here is the sign, the sign that I am authorized to do these things. Destroy this temple, verse 18, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. Now, we know that he's referring to his body. And what John does is he shapes his gospel around the central importance of the miracle that Jesus' body will become for our new access to the Father, the true and only access to the Father. All the miracles in John's gospel are really introductions to the great miracle that is what happens in the body of Jesus. His body becomes the new temple. His body becomes the new way through which we access the Father, and the only way. And it's interesting that as the book of Acts unfolds, the the history book of the New Testament, the book of Acts starts again in Jerusalem, and they are preaching around that same temple, and they are preaching that the true temple, Jesus' body, has come, and that temple has, it's over. It's, it's been replaced. And the book of Acts starts with that temple there in Jerusalem, and it moves outward to the pagan temples. And the same message is delivered to those temples. These temples have no function, no use. The true temple is Jesus and his body. So I bring this out simply to say that this now sets up the great miracle that is the body of Jesus. And as John's gospel unfolds, we're watching Jesus, why he is so important, why he is the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament spoke about. John fourteen six. you know this well, I am uh, the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. Again, that is all happening through his body. And uh, this, this now is a message to the world. Uh, The world tends to be uh, concerned about religious places or holy places. I don't know if you know this or not, but we as Christians don't have any holy places. Can you think of what? Uh, Jerusalem is not more holy than uh, Monowilly. How about that? That that should give us uh, non-Jerusalem citizens, yay, this is great. That's good. Uh, You can go anywhere in the world, and you can now, this is Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, a day is coming when neither at this mountain, nor in that mountain, nor in Jerusalem, nor anywhere will they worship the Father. The location is not going to matter. Geography is no longer going to matter. They will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, this is liberating news for the nations of the world. Uh, the, the Old Testament and all that God had set up as a structure, it was all temporary. It was all scaffolding. And now it's all gone. Now, in many ways, our worship uh, through Jesus... Can't be corrupted because Jesus is through. It's through His body. His body is now ascended into heaven, and it is through Him that we now worship the Father. And so, if we had a holy place here on the earth, how would we handle it? Well, we would in some way corrupt it, right? And so, it's up where we can't we we can't get to it, right? That's for the nations. That's that's for our good. God has overcome our our tendency to. To, to 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 even idolize or make idolatrous um, uh, attempts to, to to you know keep a holy place. Well, Jerusalem is not more holy than any other place in the world. And John two twenty one, there is an interpretation here. Uh, which is beautiful. If you were a Greek reading this and you have no Old Testament background, it's beautiful that John gives you little coaching tips in his Bible, in his in his gospel, John 2, 21. But he was speaking about the temple of his what? Body. Of his body. So if you're just new to this, uh, it's amazing. If you just take your time with the Bible, the Bible will guide you uh, uh, to its core truths. And uh, this is a beautiful thing that the disciples would remember, after Jesus is raised from the dead, they would remember his instruction about the centrality of his body. Okay, how his body would be the final temple. Now, how does this affect our view of our day? Uh, is it just another tequila sunrise? Uh, not if you have someone who's entered this world, love has has become incarnate and uh, conquered death and, and provided atonement for sin and the assurance of salvation uh, and the new heavens and the new earth, there's a great anticipation and a great joy knowing what, what is going on in the world. And what is going on in the world, though it cannot be seen, it is understood and perceived spiritually you are perceiving and understanding something spiritually about the way things really are. The way things really are in the world is Jesus died uh, and rose again and ascended, and that is perceived and received by faith. And uh, we have the assurance of these things, not just made up, not just mythologies, not just the creativity of people. This is actually a history of real events real events for our certainty that our faith is not just faith in faith, but it is faith in a a God who came, embodied in this world, evidenced his authority over over death itself. So this is acknowledged, interestingly enough, uh, by testimony in John's gospel, already of Jesus' authority and his unique uh, identity, for instance, in John three, Nicodemus says, "No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him." The testimony of others in John's gospel is affirming the unique, uh, unique uh, deity and identity of Jesus himself. So, what are the what are the seven signs in John's gospel? And you may not have, have noticed this, but these are again through uh, chapters two. Through, uh, through 11, really, to conclude right before ch- chapter 12, uh, Jesus performed his first sign and changed water to wine at the wedding feast in Cana, uh, and that is in John chapter 2. Uh, with a word of a command, Jesus heals the son of a royal official in John chapter 4. Jesus healed a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, John chapter 5. Jesus multiplies seven loaves and fishes to feed five thousand people who had gathered to hear him. That's John six. He walked on water and calmed the waves to rescue his disciples, and that is in John chapter six as well. Jesus healed a blind a man born blind, giving him sight in John chapter nine. And Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, which is really the great one of the great culminating points in in John's gospel in John eleven. So you actually have Jesus bringing Lazarus back to life, uh, resurrecting him, and uh, again, uh, really a foreshadowing of what's about to happen with his own body. And so Jesus has the power to create new life, to restore, to make new again what is broken, lost, or destroyed. Uh, This is the kingdom of God. Uh, described really in the other Gospels as the kingdom of God breaking into this, into this broken world, into the spiritual realm, into the physical realm. So an, these point to an all-wise, all-powerful, a loving, merciful God who is showing great compassion in the life of Jesus. So another aspect of John's Gospel is uh, the, the statements of the I am statements, and there are seven of those. Uh, The the name for God, as I mentioned in the children's message, uh, the name Yahweh, which we we translate roughly in English, Yahweh, um, I am that I am, coming from Exodus 3.14, um, sometimes translated uh, Jehovah, and there's lots of uh, discussion about that. But the, the special name for God is I am. And throughout John's gospel, John highlights Jesus' use of the name, the covenant name of God, I am. Uh, John 6, I am the bread of life. John 8, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the door of the sheep. Uh, John 10, again, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Uh, John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Again, this is the, the covenant name of God. He is presenting himself as the rightful heir and uh, representative of this God who was revealed in the Old Testament. He is the same, claiming to have the same identity as that name I am. I am the resurrection of life, John 11. Uh, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then John 15, I am the true vine. So John's gospel has so many beautiful, famous portions in it. Uh, How many of us are familiar with John 3.16, known by Christians and and non-Christians alike? John's beautiful gospel uh, includes the phrase from John 8.32, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall do something marvelous. It will set you free. This beautiful, beautiful phrase that has influenced uh, poetry and literature uh, the idea that truth setting someone free and so again back to the palace and quote the center of redemption is the change of our wants what's happening in our reading and listening to john's gospel something's happening at the level of our wants What's, what's happening? I want more of this person. I want to know him. I want to be with him. I want to understand him. I want to delight in him. I want him to be my very life. You see, John is the apostle in John 13 who laid his head upon the breast of Jesus, upon, upon his Savior. He rested in Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus he writes in his, in his prologue, he writes that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what kind, of, what kind of experience was this? It was an experience of grace and truth. It was a lovely experience. It was a beautiful experience. He, he would draw us in. He wanted us. He gave us security. He gave us his very life. Of course, Jesus in John 17, the high priestly prayer Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Listen to that. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. See, John understood that there was more glory to be revealed. He had seen the glory of God revealed in Jesus, and there is more to come. You have given me, Christ said, you you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And so John's gospel is the unveiling of the Father's love for the Son. John's gospel reveals to us what has been going on from eternity past, that the Father has always loved the Son, and the Son has always loved the Father. And this was revealed for a short time on earth. And John says, I was an eyewitness. I was in the front row. I was right there. And that sad song from the Eagles, where love never happens, in the gospel, love happens. Hope is kindled. The old world, this old world may look the same, but it is not. John's gospel, by the way, has been uh, has been imaged uh, as an eagle. I don't know if you've seen this in, in some of the cathedrals in Europe where each of the gospel writers has, has taken on a figure of an animal. Uh, John's gospel is... Uh, Figured as a, as an eagle, and um, this this is traced back as far as I could tell uh, to uh, to Augustine, who described John's gospel as as a spiritual gospel. Meaning that, as an eagle is soaring above the earth and its its truth it, its pers- its where, f- the height from which it can it can fly, uh, how high it is. John's gospel flies above, and it. Is it brings with us this heavenly, beautiful spiritual truth. And as you read it, you get this sense of it. Not to not to sort of make it a mystical book, but there's a beautiful quality to it. Beautiful quality where, where we're seeing with with new eyes Jesus Christ, who wants us to be with him and the Father and to see His glory. That's why he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up. Because he thought of you. He um, imagined all those that the Father would give. And it's going to be through the very body of Jesus that we experience glory forever and ever and ever. God always intended that we would be a new humanity formed and shaped by the second Adam. It's an awesome God always thought of you. God imagined you being in the sun and experiencing the the love and and life of of the Trinity as we experience it through Jesus Christ. So what are the wants that are fundamentally beginning to change within us? If redemption does this, it changes. What kind of wants begin to get stirred in us? I want hope for other people. It's not enough for me just to absorb this. John, think of this, that these were thoughts in his mind about Jesus. He walked the earth, and he knew these things. He'd experienced them. He had held grace itself, and he knew the world needed to see this. He knew the world needed to hear this, you see, and it wasn't enough that he he had it for himself, and I think this is sort of the want that the core fundamental change in our wants. You can't just read this stuff or hear it and become a spiritual cul-de-sac. It's this, as the the conference coming up in October, the overflow, overflow of the heart. Jesus described this in John's gospel. The spirit is within us, a a well of water springing up to eternal life. It's overflowing. What are the wants that change in us? We We want love to be Rekindled in people's hearts to believe that love, love can be true and love can be something real. We want people to have faith that has a solid footing. And we want people to experience what John experienced, where in John 13, 23, he is described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Do you sense that? Do you sense Jesus? Loving you. I know you go to church. But do you sense him loving you? It's one one thing to go to church. It's another thing to go to Jesus. Do you sense him? Is he with you? Is he for you? His atonement is so complete that he's at peace with you. When he says these words, I'm the good shepherd, do you you feel it? Do you sense it? Is there a goodness about even the chaos of your life? You know what I'm saying? When he says, I'm the resurrection and the life, does that connect with you? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Is that for you? I'm the true vine. See, he's alive. He's alive. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Christian, is that, are you tracking with freedom these days? Is it, work, is it working in you? Is it, is it happening? See, I was introduced as a young boy to that tequila sunrise. And you know what life is? Life is just one massive escape from pain. It's one of the first lessons I learned on that beach in Mazatlan. I didn't put it that way in my head at that time. But you see, we, we've got something to tell people about the outpouring love of God through Jesus Christ. And instead of a world where love is just missed and things are just sad. These things are written that you may believe and that by believing you have life in his name. Someone once said that the secret business of life is the giving and receiving of love. How about that? I think that's what John is on to. He's saying, man, when I I experienced what I encountered was love incarnate and so for us this should fundamentally change our wants it's been a short series a series that's given us a glimpse of the savior who has loved us like he loved john let's pray